Would you join me in praying one more time as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, we find ourselves desperately in need of you. God, would you, as I love those words, would you crack the dawn? Would you open up the skies that your light would shine on us? God, I think of Paul's word to the Corinthians. Wake up, rise, O sleeper, that Christ's light may shine on you. God, if there are areas of our heart and our life where we're sleeping this morning, would we wake up, would we rise? Would we respond to the call that you give us this morning? Speak to our hearts, God. You are always calling us further up and further in, as C.S. Lewis said. May we respond to that call this morning. God, as always, not because of words that I have said, but because of words that you, through your Holy Spirit, speak to your people. So may I decrease and you increase this morning. Be glorified, I pray, as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little recap. Uh, we are working our way through the book of Mark, and today we'll mark the end of Mark chapter 1. It has been a breakneck pace that we have been marching through the book of Mark, uh, but it is so rich, uh, the account that Peter, through Mark, gives us of the life of Jesus. And so last week, uh, we were looking at Jesus' first teaching, the first time he goes into a synagogue. And if you remember, he started teaching the kingdom gospel, that the kingdom is near because the king is near. And it says that the people were amazed because of his authority. They said, we've never heard anyone teach like this before. Someone teach with this kind of authority. And then he showed also how he demonstrated his authority. The sick were healed, demons cast out, the entire village bringing all of their sick and demon-possessed to him, and him healing and casting out demons. There was more to kingdom authority than just some wise and persuasive words. We looked at Paul's words where, where Paul said, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but with what? Anybody know? Demonstrations of the Spirit's power. Paul later said in 1 Corinthians, he said, the kingdom is not a kingdom of words, but of power. And when we look at Jesus' life, it wasn't just his words. He is so much more than just a good teacher, which he was a good teacher. But it wasn't just that he had found a new way to put things that people had never heard before. There was an authority in his life. There was a spiritual authority just standing in his presence and all of his words, all of his teachings about the kingdom were backed up by displays of power on this earth. And we see the same trend continue with the disciples, the apostles, as they begin going, planting churches all around the known world. As Paul said, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but you saw the kingdom lived out in me by demonstrations of the Spirit's power. So we spent our time focusing on what the authority of Jesus looked like, what spiritual kingdom authority looked like to Jesus. And the question we're going to ask today is, is that something that we can have ourselves? Can we have the same kind of kingdom spiritual authority that Jesus did? The same kind of kingdom power that Jesus had, is it available to us? I'm going to short-circuit the whole thing. The answer is yes. We have available to us the same power and authority that Jesus had because who lives in us if we are followers of Christ? The Holy Spirit. 
The same Holy Spirit, Paul would say, that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. The same power that Jesus had available to him, we have available to us. You see, sometimes we think that Jesus, he took a shortcut. When you ask the question, well, well, how did Jesus get that kind of power and authority? You go, well, he was God on earth. I even said last week, the king always has authority in his own kingdom, yes? Well, so he cheated then, right? It just happened magically for Jesus. But we got to work really hard. Wrong. Jesus didn't take shortcuts. Jesus came to earth for many reasons, one of which was to model for us the life that we should live. Yes? What Jesus did, he taught his disciples to do, and then he told them, now you go make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. Teaching them to obey everything I had commanded you, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus said, you saw how I lived, now you live the same way and teach others to live the same way. That's discipleship. That's how the church has made it thousands of years later is we are discipled to walk like Jesus walked. He didn't shortcut. He didn't go, here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to tell you guys plan B. You go do that. He said, live the way that I lived, and you will have, John 14, he says, you will have the same power that I have. He said, even in fact, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will do greater things than you have seen me do. If that doesn't bake your noodle, there's something wrong. You're not getting it. Jesus Christ said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, my followers, you will do even greater things than you have seen me do. He didn't cheat. He didn't take shortcuts. He showed us how to gain that kind of kingdom power and authority. We can walk in his way and we can live as he lived. If not, what are we doing? Let's close the doors. So how did Jesus gain that kind of kingdom authority and how can we tap into that? The very next verse, uh, we're in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Jesus says he, he casts out all the demons in the village, heals all the sick in the village. And then the very next verse, very early in the morning while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and he was praying. How did Jesus come by this kind of authority and power it was through his time with his father. He spent time in the presence of his father, and he became like his father, and he displayed the power and authority of his father. And this wasn't just something only Jesus could do. He was modeling for us the way forward. So let's break this down a little bit. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, some of you just checked out. It already costs too much. I don't want to do that. You mean it could affect sleep? Oh, man, it's still dark. I mean, right now you wake up at 7 and it's still dark. But there's times of the year when that's rough. Are you, like, do, that's really what it has to look like? Blessed be the Lord, no, it doesn't. Morning is never commanded. Getting up early in the morning is never commanded in Scripture, though it is referenced a lot. It's not nowhere in the Scripture that say this is the only way to do it. But man, there's a lot of examples of that working. And, and here's why. Because it's not about what time your alarm goes off to get you up and do it. It's about is it a priority to you? We find in Matthew 6.33... 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But seek it when? First. There's a, a, a quote that says, those who don't seek the kingdom first don't seek it at all. And basically what it means is this. You can't seek the kingdom as a lower tier priority. It's no longer the kingdom. No one looks the king in the eye and goes, hold on, I'll be back with you in a minute. I have some important things to do. It doesn't work like that. We are called to prioritize the Father. To prioritize His kingdom. And the way that we do that is by prioritizing relationship and time with Him. So listen, maybe the way your life works out right now, it can't be the very first thing on the agenda. But here's something that I'll tell you from my own experience. If it gets pushed too far down on the agenda, it's not a priority anymore. I'll be honest. If it gets pushed probably past the second or third thing I do in a day, it doesn't even happen. Jesus woke up early in the morning while it was still dark. That was the priority he had. That was the need he was aware of for this time with his father. Was Jesus tired? Yeah. I have never had a day like he had. An entire town of people just flocking to where I was staying. You know he was up till late in the night doing the work of the kingdom, displaying the power of the kingdom to set the captives free. And yet he woke up early in the morning, not because he was militant and it was the law and that's the rule and you got to do it no matter what, but because he knew the only way that I am able to continue, the only way that I'm able to do what I'm called to do is through that time with the Father. And so if it costs me some sleep, I will get up early and I will do it. He prioritized his time with the Father. And through that, he has power and authority. Let's continue on. He went to a deserted place. You thought waking up early was hard. He had stillness and solitude. This is one of the scariest things, certainly for us as Americans, and I think just people in general, is to simply be alone and to be silent. When I am alone and I am silent, my thoughts get real loud. I don't know about you. When I am alone and I am silent, I have no choice but to reflect on my life, and that's not always a pleasant thing. Most of us will run from stillness and solitude with everything we have. We avoid it throughout our entire day. There is always a TV going, a radio going. There's always people. There's always something happening. And as much as we go, oh, to just have some peace and quiet, most of us flee from it. Because to be alone with your thoughts is a terrifying thing. To be alone and still and waiting on the presence of God, all of a sudden, every doubt you've ever had starts coming up. What if he doesn't show up? What if he doesn't speak? What if I'm doing it wrong? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And so we avoid it with everything we have. There, uh, uh, old philosopher Blaise Pascal says this, all men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. I don't know if I would say it that strong, but he's probably a smarter guy than me. All of men's miseries derive from not being able to sit in a quiet room alone. So much of the, the evil, so much of the mistakes that we make come because we refuse to just sit and be still. To practice that discipline that we find all through Scripture. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. The promise that there's a way we will know God 
when we are still that we won't know him in any other way. We disregard that, though, because it's too scary. We don't have the tools to sit and be still. I don't have to train too many people on here's what to say when you pray. I'll tell you what, though. I've worked with a lot of people on let's practice just sitting and being still. It's so weird, but that's where we are as a culture, as a people. It is not only unnatural, it's terrifying to a lot of us. And so we turn and run from it. There's a song that, that Kim and I like by a, a band called 21 Pilots called Car Radio. And the whole song is about somebody stole this guy's car radio, and now he has to drive in silence. And the whole song is about, and I can't get away from my thoughts. And I, I just want to play some music and distract myself, but somebody stole my radio. And here I am stuck with my thoughts. And, and it's beautiful because it really captures where most of us are. To sit and be still for five minutes for most of us, would be the hardest thing that we would do in a day. Yet we see Jesus doing this, and we'll find this repetitively as you go throughout the Gospels. It was Jesus' common practice to wake up early, to prioritize, and to go and find a deserted place to be with his Father. It's the thing we need and the thing we are most terrified of, most of us. And this is especially needed when you're learning to spend time with the King. We have all this noise and craziness, and then we go, but I really struggle to just focus and read. To sit and pray, oh, there's just too much going on. I can't do it. When we're learning to spend time with the king, this is when learning to be still and alone with him is vital, and it's a tool that most of us have never picked up, and so we struggle in the rest of our relationship. Is this making sense, church? You got masks, so I need some real expressive eyebrows. Okay. Because here's, here's, a, here's a truth that we find all throughout Scripture. A true sign of authority is not having to raise your voice. God will not shout over all of the noise in your life because you refuse to sit down and be quiet. We think of the story of Elisha. Many of us know this, where he uh, wants to hear the Lord's voice. He needs to hear the Lord's voice. And so he goes up onto the mountain, and there's this incredible whirlwind that comes, and it's, it's ripping the rocks apart. And he says, but the Lord's voice wasn't in the whirlwind. And then this fire comes, loud, destructive, bright, crazy. But the Lord's voice wasn't in the fire. Where was the Lord's voice? In a still, small whisper. You can picture, he's, he's seeing literally the mountain being torn apart about him, and certainly that's God saying something. No. The fire, this raging, no. And then this still small voice that you, you can picture, he almost has to hold his breath and put his ear to the rock. Just, what, what is he saying? If he's not quiet, he'll miss it. And we find Jesus and getting away from the crowds, getting, getting away from those who are clamoring for him, getting away from all of the good things that he could be doing to find a quiet, still place, a deserted place to hear the voice of the Father. And the third part, and he was praying there. What did that look like? I would love to be a fly on the wall. It would no longer be a deserted place because I'd be there. But I would love to see how Jesus prayed with the Father. You see, most of us were never really taught how to pray. We're told a lot. You come to church, you read books, you listen to podcasts, whatever it may be, and you are told you should pray. But most of us are never taught how to pray. 
Jesus taught his disciples what to pray. In uh, Luke 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. It was a very common practice back then. If you had a rabbi that you were following, it means teacher, they would teach you how to do what they did. And so they looked around and they went, this... This is in John chapter 11. Ten chapters have already gone by. And the disciples are going, hey, John tells his disciples what to pray. We see the Pharisees telling their disciples what to pray. You've never told us what to pray. We see you praying all the time, but we don't know what to pray. And Jesus says, okay, when you pray, say this. Now, most people have heard this before. The Lord's Prayer is not some like magic uh, motto that you have to just recite each day. It's a mantra. That's not what the Lord's Prayer is. What it is is a model. He's going, look, there's, there's different parts to prayer that are huge that will help you connect with the Father. First is to praise His name. Hallowed be your name means, means really high. Lifted up. Be your name. Your kingdom come. God, your will above my will. Would your will be done here on earth? Would your kingdom come today right in this place? Give us each day our daily bread. Lord, here's, here's the things I need today. As far as I can see, here's the things I have to have today. You're a good father. Would you meet my needs? Forgive us our sins. Times of repentance and confession. And then probably the hardest part of this prayer for most of us. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lord, just as you forgive me in the ugliness and the pettiness of my sin, I forgive others. I, I want to follow in that model and lead us not into temptation. Lord, don't let the enemy have victory in our lives. He taught them what to pray. But I think potentially even more important than what to pray is the disciples also caught how to pray. What you won't find when you read through the Gospels is Jesus telling anyone, get alone somewhere, get up early. It has to be the first thing. And really spend time communicating with the Lord. You won't find that teaching anywhere. What you will find is Jesus modeling it for his disciples. And they were catching it. It wasn't just at some point in time throughout your day, ramble these words off. At some point in time throughout your day, make sure you make it through the list of things that you got to tell God to keep him happy. He taught them what to pray, but equally important, he showed them how to pray. Have you guys heard the, the old saying, more is caught than is taught? Most of what we know was never implicitly taught to us. No, very few of us remember somebody going, here is how you hold a fork and here is how you stab the food. And here is how you chew the food. As little kids, we watched people and we figured it out. We caught it from watching someone's life. And most of what the disciples learned about prayer, they learned from watching the life of Jesus. They, they were putting all of these different pieces together. The, the very next passage in Mark 1, Simon and his companions went searching for him and they found him and said, everyone's looking for you. 
There's a number of times throughout the Gospels when it says that Jesus went to a deserted place and prayed. How do we know that the disciples figured that out? Because they're the ones that wrote it down for us. They knew that this was a common practice of Jesus, even though he never told, he never made a rule, and here is what you must do every day. They watched his life and they said, the priority of his life is his time with the Father. Everything else flows from that. They didn't need it written down and, and they had to commit it to memory. They saw it in his life and it was very clear, if you want what I have, do what I do. I prioritize time with the Father to get alone to a quiet place to pray. They would see him do that and then they would hear some of his teachings and marry them together like in John 5 uh, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. He said, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. If you think about it, Peter, James, John, the, the boys, they're sitting around. They hear Jesus teach that. I only do what I see the Father do. They would have gone, wait, when does he see the Father do that? We're legitimately with him 24-7. Unless the Lord's only speaking to him in the bathroom, there has to be something else going on because we're with him all the other time. Oh, wait. Except for those mornings when he disappears. He's always up on a mountainside somewhere quiet and he comes back refreshed. He comes back full of purpose and vision and power. I think he's getting alone with the Father. I think in those times, the only times we're not with him, he's seeing the Father so clearly that he's becoming like the Father and he's acting like the Father and he's living with the Father's power and authority. They would have connected those dots. I won't get into it now, but John chapter 10 sometime, read it. The, the story of the good shepherd, where Jesus is telling his people, I am the good shepherd. Listen to how many times in the first 16 verses, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I think it's something like a dozen times. He is putting this huge emphasis on my sheep know how to hear my voice. And again, they would have tied it together. They would have gone, that's what he's doing up on the mountain. He had to get alone to learn to hear the Father's voice, and now he's just following where the Father leads. They would have caught all of this. They would have put it all together because they were watching the life of Jesus. And he didn't just say, pray these words, say these words. They saw his whole life, and they learned how to pray. Prioritize time with the Father in stillness and solitude, as scary as that may be and to communicate with the Father, both speaking, if not just as important, probably more important, listening, receiving, seeing what the Father does, and becoming like Him. So what happens after that? Picking up again in verse 36 again, or 37, excuse me. They found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. So he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with a serious skin disease came to him on his knees, begging him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Peter loves this word. Immediately, the disease left him and he was healed. 
Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places and they would come to him from everywhere. Just a little bunny trail there. We talked about it last week. We said, man, if Jesus was trying to establish a kingdom, he was doing it wrong. Because every time he would do something crazy, he would tell people, now don't tell anyone. This is just between us. And they would go tell people and his fame would grow. And he seemed almost disappointed that he was becoming famous. And I think this had a huge uh, piece of it here. At the end of that passage, it said he, he proclaimed it widely and uh, the, the news about him spread with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but was out in a deserted place and they would come to him from everywhere. Jesus never desired to be out there and make the masses come to him. This is how many of our churches are set up. Let's get such a good program. Let's be so flashy and hip and cool. And let's make sure the music is so good and the teaching is so good that people will come from all around to hear it. Jesus was really disappointed with that model. He came to go to where the people were. He came to meet the people in their own homes, at their own places of work, and to bring the kingdom to them there. It wasn't a come and see kingdom it was a, the kingdom has come near message. But as, as his fame grew, his word about him spread, he wasn't able to do that. And you see him being disappointed. It's so backwards as, as, as a church. That's what most of us celebrate. Look at the size crowds we're drawing in. And Jesus went, man, the crowds are getting in my way from doing what I'm actually meant to do. Taking the kingdom to the people. Side note, that one's for free. Jesus would get alone with his father, and out of that, he received calling and authority from time with his father. Look at the first thing that happens. He spends this time alone. He's probably interrupted by his well-meaning disciples. Man, the crowds are down there. They're clamoring for even more. Jesus, they started chanting your name. It's crazy. Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too, for this is why I have come. And he went into all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Remember, we talked about last week, when it says Jesus was preaching, that never meant just standing up and disseminating information. It was with his whole life. He would teach and he would demonstrate the power of the kingdom. They went hand in hand. He spent time alone with the father. And as his praise is growing in the village, he comes out of it and he goes, sorry, boys, new marching orders. Leave the crowds. We're heading off to the next place because I'm called to preach. I'm called to show people that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's why I've come. He received calling and the power and authority needed to live out the call through his time with his father. We will receive the things that we ask for when we spend time with the father because our heart will become like the father's heart. We see this in Jesus. Spends time with the Lord. The Lord says, now go. Leave this place. Leave the fame and fortune. Go to the next village because I've called you to preach. So he goes and he does that. And while he's going on his way, this man with a terrible skin disease comes to him. And look at what it says, Mark 141. Moved with compassion, 
Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. The power and authority to do this miracle, to heal this man, came from his time with the Father. And in his time with the Father, his heart was made like the Father's, and he was moved in compassion to heal this man, to display the power of the kingdom. One of our values uh, that we have as a church is to live with an outward focus, and here's how we define that. A commitment to bring life and healing to those around us with a heart that breaks for what breaks his. Jesus came out of his time with the Father, and he said, I have to go to where the people need me. My Father has called me to take light into the darkness, to leave the fame, and to take the kingdom message to the next place. It's why I'm here. And when he saw brokenness, he was moved with the compassion that came from the Father, and he demonstrates kingdom power. So often we wonder why our lives don't look like Jesus or like his disciples. And I think so much of it comes back to we don't start where they started. Time alone with the Father. Time where the Father can shape our hearts, our desire, our will. Time where the Father can give us a fresh vision for what he's called us to be about. And with that comes faith and power and authority to live the vision out. Jesus taught it. John 15, 1 through 8. Many of us know this passage, some of us by heart. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do no thing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Some branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Such branches, excuse me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, his disciples would have heard him teach, if you remain in me and I in you. Jesus said, just like I am in the Father and the Father is in me, they would have immediately been drawn back to, that's what he's doing up on the mountain. He says, you will bear much fruit. Whatever you ask will be done for you, not because God owes it to you, but because your heart becomes like his. And the things that you desire become the things that he desires. And when God desires to move, he moves. Ask whatever you want in my name, according to my will, is what that means. And how do we know the will of the Father? Come on, church, I'm giving it to you. How do we know the will of the Father? Spend time with him. Prioritize it. Get alone. Seek his face. You will be made like him. You will receive calling into your family, into your community, and you will receive power and authority to affect change there. Because the kingdom is not a matter of words, but of power. Jesus taught it, and we see that Peter caught it. We're going to look real quick at Acts chapter 10. This is a pivotal chapter in the entire Bible. 
This, this, there's a hinge that swings in Acts chapter 10. Until Acts chapter 10, the good news of the kingdom was only for one people group. Who was it? The Jews, for Israel. The good news of the kingdom and the Messiah was only for the Jews. And in Acts chapter 10, the whole thing changes. God gives Peter a vision uh, that is with the best news for those of us that are Gentiles. It says, kill and eat. Uh, he shows him pigs. He's like, Peter, you've never had bacon. It's been unclean, but I'm changing things. Have some bacon. Have some pork chops. And Peter was like, Lord, no, I, I couldn't. And he gave him the, the vision a couple different times because he said, I'm doing a new thing here. What was once unclean, I'm now calling clean. And Peter wakes up from that vision, and all of a sudden, there's this Gentile messenger going, man, the Lord gave us a vision and told us to come find you, and he said, you have some good news for us. And all of a sudden, we see the gospel spread throughout the Gentiles. Gentile, just a fancy word for me, anyone not Jewish. To the, to the ends of the earth, the gospel starts to spread because of how the Lord spoke to Peter. But look at what we find in Acts 10.9, the verse that precedes the vision that changes everything. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, the, those who had had the vision said, go find Peter. They're on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. Why the roof, Peter? You live in a desert place. It's probably pretty hot up on the roof. And it's probably pretty quiet and alone up there too. Peter took his cues from Jesus. Said, I have to get alone with the Father. I have to seek his face. And in doing so, found a calling that changed everything for the rest of human history. You and I get to sit here praising the name of Jesus because Peter got alone on a roof. How many in our community, how many in our families are missing out because we refuse to get alone on a roof? I truly believe that if Peter hadn't done it, God would have used somebody else. And Peter would have missed out. But he followed in the way of Jesus. He got alone with the Lord. He received truly fresh vision, brand new, that no one had ever heard before. And it changed the course of human history. So now let's, now it's your, it's your turn to talk a little bit. Let's, I'll ask some questions, uh, and I would just love to hear your thoughts. As, as always, we say, I truly believe I'm not the only one the Lord speaks to. I'm not the only one that has wisdom or insight here. We want to learn from each other. And so I'm going to ask three questions. The first one's kind of the softball. The second one gets a little harder. And the third one is more of a rhetorical question that I'll leave with you. So the first one is this. What does it look like when you get alone with the Father? For those times, and I'm talking about you specifically, for those times when you've, you've done it right, you've been successful at it, you actually took the time, you put it on the calendar, whatever it was, and you got alone with the Father, what does that look like for you? How, how do you do that? How do you seek the Father? Make sense? Okay. Go. There's some pretty easy answers on the table right now, if you want to take advantage of them. What you do. Mm-hmm. 
So I'll, I'll repeat back a little bit in case it was hard to hear him. Uh, he says he comes first thing in the morning uh, and, and spends time. Um, was worship first or was stillness first? Okay. It can change. It can fluctuate. Sure. He'll spend time in stillness, that stillness and solitude, listening for the Lord. And he said from there, he said a very important thing, the Lord kind of directs the rest of it. And he'll spend some time worshiping, be that through music, be that just through proclaiming truths from the Lord's word. Come to the Lord, read it, spend that time with the Lord, and then actually praise the word back to the Lord. Lord, I believe that this is true. Lord, I want this in my life. Lord, there's this person that's on my heart right now who needs this truth. And we begin to pray scripture back to the Lord. And David, was it like that from day one for you? You, just, you were a fetus and just knew how to do all of that? No. It's been quite a, quite a journey, I imagine. Yeah. Well, actually, it helps. It helps with this people. Sure. Sure. Yeah, the tough times actually help him, he says, because once you run out of complaints, you have to just sit there silent because you have no more complaints to give. And then the Lord begins to speak and to move. That's good. How else? What does it look like for you to get alone with the Father? Let's learn from each other. So for me, Bryce, I really, really like my sleep. Mm -hmm. And I get really cranky if I don't get enough. Sure. So honestly, for me, it, it begins the night before. Okay. That I have over the years gotten to where I have to commit to going to bed at a certain time so that I have enough sleep so that I can get up in the morning refreshed enough to spend the time and not hit snooze five sure. times and say, well, today I'm just too tired to get up. But Steve, what if the game's on? Or, or what if Netflix says, you still there? I mean, you have to click yes, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it starts the night before. I can't get up early. I mean, I don't go to bed until midnight. So getting up before the sun, are you kidding me? Like, to prioritize takes sacrifice, takes change. If it happened naturally, it wouldn't be a priority. It's an act of will. And oftentimes, Steve, like you said, it starts the night before to prepare myself so that I can make it the first thing I do, whatever that looks like. If I don't do it, it lasts just a couple days, and then I'm hitting snooze or turning on the second alarm so that I can just stop the first one and right. sleep an extra hour. Yeah, the momentum carries. Yeah. How else? What does it look like to get alone with the Father for you? Well, it changed for me a lot when we started having kids. And so I think kids change things? <laughs> I think that for me, um, I had to start, it, it, I was challenged to start viewing it as like Jesus calling me to time with him. Hmm. So whether that was, um, I believe there was probably a time in my life where I had one kid and they took a nap. I don't know, somewhere back there um, for maybe a minute or so. Um, but it was like whether it was in that nap time when all the one to do was maybe sleep, which is okay sometimes. 
you know, that very often that was what I did, but also just to recognize, like, when he was calling me. So, um, when you're not waking up to an alarm or that you can snooze, you're waking up to, like, a human life with you feed it. Um, you know, like, it's not like, uh, I didn't, like, set an alarm an hour before I thought my babies would wake up. I didn't do that. Like, I woke up and looked in it, and, um, but learned to recognize that, oh, I should read my Bible, not as a checkoff thing, but, oh, the Holy Spirit's calling me to time with Him. Hmm. And it would oftentimes be during nap times, it would sometimes be late at night, um, um, if I, but I would always maybe make sure that I tune my, my mind to that. Like, like I always said, well, if I looked at my phone because it was ringing and it said Jesus, I wouldn't be like, eh, I'm going to like, lay down close my eyes first. Like, I would want to answer that call. Like, I would want to give priority. And sometimes that was five minutes. Sometimes that would be an hour. But I think that that was been a benefit. David said trials are are good. but for, And so for me, I would say like that, let, let it have me like a little control where I couldn't just do sure. it. This was my time and I picked it off and I did it and I got the benefit. But having to learn to recognize it as a call. Um, and then just that when the evening was quieting down and it was going to be my time just to check in and be like, did I hear from Jesus today? Did I do that? And if not, like, okay, I've got five minutes now. He's calling me right now. And that has benefited me. And I do now, when our kids are older, I do now maybe have a little more of a flow to my day, and it isn't in the morning for me usually, but it, that's still a part of it. Like, that, that's still part of my yeah. It's just that check in, like, oh, like, he's calling me to this, and I'm going to answer that. So I'd love to hear just from some of you whether you've shared or not yet already. Like very practically, what does it look like? Because here's here's part of the uh, the difficulty that some of us have is we use Christianese. I do my devotions. I answer the call, whatever it may be. And there's a lot of people on the outside who maybe haven't walked that far yet in the journey, going, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. You just have your quiet time with the Lord. What? What is that? So we both just sit quietly? Is that all there is to this? Like, what does spending time with the Father look like? David did a great job of sharing kind of very practically how his looked. What does it look like for some of us? Yeah, there, there are some I know who write out every prayer they pray because it just it, it's part of the process. That would murder me, literally. I would die from overwriting. But Not for literally. No. I know the difference between literal and figurative. I'm sure you do there. Literally it would kill me. But for some people that is an incredibly effective tool. And and here's the beauty of it. What works for Emily does not work for me. I have tried it, and it actually becomes a hindrance because I get too worried about what I'm writing, and did I spell that right? And man, I write like chicken scratch, and, I'm, and I get lost in that. And so I've, I've tried that out, and it didn't work for me, but it brings life to her. It's beautiful. It doesn't have to look exactly the same. 
We don't have to find a mountain somewhere that's deserted like Jesus did. It can be in a car. It can be somewhere else. It can be writing. It can be staying away from a journal. Different things bring life to each of us. Talk to me about this book. How does this help? What is, how does this factor in to time with the Father? Meditate might be Christianese, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, we were kind of advised to meditate on the Gospels and then spend some quiet time with Jesus there, like mm-hmm. as if we were there. Yeah. And, and they suggested, well, keep a journal close by so that if you have any fleeting thoughts, even if it's just like, I have to remember to pick up dog food and your, your mind is kind of wandering. Right. They said, just scribble it down real quick so you can forget about it and yeah. get back to where you were. Yeah. And then just kind of like... As a busy parent, and I'm sure, like, you know, you have these different seasons in your life, but as a busy parent, you might just have to lock yourself in the bedroom or lock yourself in the bathroom, at, you know, to get it done. But, but that was one yeah. cool exercise that, you know, where you could spend time with the Word, spend time in the Gospels, and then have your quiet mm-hmm. time where you would, would almost, like, spend time with Jesus right there where he was. And yeah. it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, great theologian Martin Luther actually did most of his quiet time alone in the bathroom because it's where he could find it. And, and a, man, a medieval bathroom was probably not an incredibly pleasant place to hang out if you get my drift, drift. Um, but that's where he could find solitude and stillness. And so that's what he did. Sure, sure. So we, we read, we pray, we journal. We, we read scriptures, and also there's other books out there that can be helpful to spark new thinking and, and all of this. We get alone, and again, some of, so much of this is trial and error, and we view it as pass-fail. I'm either good at it or I'm not good at it. I'd say if you're not good at it, you probably just haven't found the way that you and the Lord communicate yet. We're called to get away with the Father. How, how many of us know that we're called to read the Bible and to pray and to spend time with the Father? Okay. If you didn't know, I just told you, so every hand should go up. How many of us do that as often and effectively as we know we're supposed to? Okay. Two. Majority of us, we're not there. So let me ask this next question. Spending time with the Father isn't rocket science. We all know we're supposed to do it. So why is it so hard to do? We know that it's life-giving. We know that it's what we're called to do. We know that, it, that we feel guilty when we don't. All these different things. But why is it so hard to do? Is that Casey? Okay. Because we don't make it a priority. Is it because we don't know we're supposed to? Nope. So why does it fall down on the priority list? Why do other things get bumped up ahead of it? We would give words and say, man, it's life-giving. I know that that's where like, God speaks to me. I know that that's where God changes me. We would say all these things, but yet we still watch it fall through the priorities. Why? Okay. 
Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I could tell the days that I didn't do it, something would happen at work before I would address it the wrong way. Sure. And if I hadn't prepared myself, it would at least force me to slow down, think what I was about to say, and try to approach it in a manner that was productive as opposed to normal. Yeah. Yeah, but, but Casey used another dirty word there, discipline. We, we have to be disciplined to do things that don't come naturally. I don't have to be disciplined to focus on myself and what I want to do. It comes naturally. You don't have to teach a small child to be selfish. It comes naturally. One of the biggest hindrances is, is the discipline that it takes to prioritize the Father. Because prioritizing time with the Father is actually prioritizing Him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm going to do what you call me to do first. I'm going to do the things that you say give me life before the things that I would naturally do in my day. It, it, discipline is, it, it seems like a bit of a dirty word, you know, because we feel like, or maybe, if you're anything like me, if not, don't worry about this. You read some stories, say Martin Luther, we talked about him earlier. He would spend three hours every morning alone with the Lord. And the more he had to do, the earlier he'd wake up to do it. And, and you start to feel guilty. You're like, oh, man, he just did it. It sounds like he just loved it. He did it and with a smile on his face the whole time, and that's not me. And so I start to like feel down because like for me, it, especially in the beginning, it's more of that discipline. Oh, I must be doing something wrong. I guess I just don't love Jesus enough, I guess. And this downward spiral starts. You discipline your children. The Father disciplines us, right? Exactly. And as the author of Hebrews says, no discipline feels good at the time, but produces life. And creating the discipline to spend time alone with the Father will produce life, even though it doesn't feel pleasant in the moment always. What else? Anything else? Why, why is it so hard? We know we should. Well, the reality, too, right? Yeah. Is we have an enemy of our soul yes. who wants to make sure that we don't that for mm -hmm. the very reasons that you just said. Sure. And um, has at his disposal 
uh, the world we live in and our sinful nature that we're born with mm-hmm. um, to distract us and to pull us away, away from that time. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Well, and then I just, I'm more important. Like, I feel like I have all this at the end. So, I just think that. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, we live in an instant gratification world. And part of the whole discipline conversation and the what I need right now in the moment thing is there's times when I spend time with the Lord and I feel like it didn't work because no magic happened. I didn't get this certain feeling. Uh, it felt like prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. There was nothing in the word that just like hit me between the eyes. I wasn't instantly gratified. And pretty quick, I give up on things that like aren't right now in the moment. It felt great. I come out of it just feeling alive. There's times when that happens, but the time that it doesn't, man, it's easy to just let that slip. Because do I really believe that I do it because the Father told me it brings life, or do I do it because it makes me feel good sometimes? Those are two very different motives. One brings life, one is very dangerous. So let me end with this rhetorical question. Because spending time alone with the Father isn't our habit, certainly not in the amounts that most of us feel like it should be, we don't experience the power and authority of the kingdom. Because we don't experience the power and authority of the kingdom, our community doesn't experience the kingdom. And because our community doesn't experience the kingdom, who would notice if we closed our doors tomorrow? There is far more at stake than whether I like spending time with the Lord or not, whether I quote-unquote get something from it. As the Lord changes me, He uses me to change my community. As I refuse to spend that time with Him, my community misses out on the kingdom. And truly think about this. Who in our community would even notice if these doors closed and never opened again? Who that's not sitting in this room right now would even care. How long would it take before our community noticed that the Alliance Church in Elkins no longer existed? Do we bring meaningful change into our community, kingdom change? And I'm not just talking social justice stuff or whatever. What I'm talking about is the kingdom being made real in people's lives. The kingdom bringing about tangible change, life where there is death. People will miss that. A community depends on that. A hopeless world is looking for hope right now. But when we don't spend time with the Father, He doesn't change us. We don't change a community. And a waiting and watching world would never even notice if we closed their doors. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. Uh, An older song called Breathe. Uh, Very simple lyrics. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence. This is my daily bread. Speaking about his word. For most of us, we'll sing this song and it'll be something that we know is true and kind of wish we had some more of. What I'm going to ask is a different way. 
is that if we're singing this song, if it doesn't reflect what's in your heart, let this be a time of repentance. Not repentance like, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm not that. But Lord, I know that this should be true, but it isn't. Would you make this true in my life? Would I be so dependent on your presence, on the life-transforming power of your word, that it's like the very air that I breathe. It's like the food that I eat, I would die without it. If that's not where your heart is, then will you pray that to the Lord? Forgive me for anything that has come between us, anything I've prioritized above you. You are to be the air that I breathe. Lord, would you, would you do that work in my heart? Does that make sense, church? So would you guys stand as we close with this song?